welcome to PB and Justice, the Price Benowitz podcast, where you join our hosts, Dane Phillips and Mitch Greenberg, on their journey to prove what makes our lawyers different and why our lawyers have chosen to pursue a life of fighting for justice. Welcome to the PB and Justice Podcast. I'm Dane Phillips, your host and South Carolina criminal defense attorney for Price Benowitz. Our illustrious guest today is the man himself, needs no introduction. It's Seth Price. Seth is the co-founder and managing partner of Price Benowitz LLP and found, co-founder of, or excuse me, founder of Blue Shark. He earned his degrees in economics and international relations from the University of Pennsylvania, much better school than mine, I'll, I'll give that, and graduated with honors from George Washington School of Law. After law school, Seth began his legal career as an insurance litigator, and thankfully, that's not where the story ends. So it's great to have you on the show, Seth. Thank you. That's, uh, that, that's uh, quite, quite an introduction. Uh, great, great to have you here. Just seeing you, uh, you know, we don't get to see each other that much uh, being South Carolina and DC. So it's, it's good to see your smile. It is. It is. It, I'm just glad we're able to get this episode in. It's, it's been uh, too long. We needed to do it from the beginning, but I'm just glad we're able to, to finally get it started. And like any good story, there's an origin story. So what's the origin story of Seth Price? Well, basically, you know, me, you know, I grew up in New York, made it to Philly for college, met Dave, and kind of stuck with him. We took the same year off from law school, after law school. Uh, he went to the public defender as an investigator. I went to Cravath in New York. But as fate would have it, uh, Cravath, in the years before Edgar, used to send their, their, their clerks down for SEC filing. So I'd be literally with a suitcase, uh, practically a handcuff, where I'd get on a plane. At one point, the Trump airline, believe it or not, uh, it would drop me off. I'd have a limo pick me up. I'd deliver the stuff to the SEC and then I'd have a limo. So I picked Dave up from his non-paid investigative <laughs> job and we'd go out for uh, barbecue chicken or something at uh, Red Hot and Blue. There weren't any restaurant choices in DC. Um, went to law school the next year. We, I got into GW. Dave got into American. He was on the GW wait list. And uh, I was like, yeah, it'd be fun to go to law school with Dave. So right as classes were going to start, the Friday before they started, orientation was over. I walked into the admissions office and said, hey, you got a guy from Penn. He did real well. Uh, you know, he's sitting in D.C., you know, and he, he's ready to go. He's got an apartment and everything. And 10 minutes later, they called him up and they took him. That's amazing. So, so you were always a closer. I mean, you went yeah. in and closed. <laughs> and as fate would have it, we ended up in the same law school section and the same like 10 person writing section. It was pretty insane. So um, ended up, um, you know, I, after law school, he turned down big law and he went the public defender route. So he'd already been there three, four years at that point. I uh, went to one of the DC firms, Swidler in Berlin, where you know I tried to be uh, a tr uh, you know a litigator or a transactional person, and I always enjoyed what the clients were doing more. Um, that was I was it was always intrigued by like the people we were representing and papering their deals or litigating for them. Um, so after I left the law firm and he left the public defender, I had gone to to get my um, my make my riches during the first dot com bubble in New York. And after a few different startups, ended up helping to launch as a founding employee, uslaw.com. And that was a precursor to, you know, LegalZoom and Avo and Fine Law. Um, early, you know, like this late 90s, uh, the bubble burst in April of 2000. And by January 2001, everything was gone. The only things left were Amazon and Yahoo. Google didn't even exist. So 
you know, basically screwed around for a little bit, but Dave uh, really wanted to practice law. I really didn't. I wanted to start something. So we decided, hey, let's divide and conquer or start a firm, whatever that means, out of Dave's basement. <laughs> you be the chief legal person and you're going to go and you're going to go and find uh, all the, you know, you're going you're gonna, to, you know, sign the clients and do the work and I'm going to make the phones ring um, and I'm going to sort of start to build an operation. And uh, it seemed with the two of us and no clients in his basement, that seemed uh, like a little overwhelming. But, you know, we, we, he started running around and built a website for $50 a month and uh, some templated site, the equivalent of Wix today. And he would go around D.C. to like random McDonald's and find people with a bag of cash that would have him, uh, you know, represent him. And, uh, you know, built another website, hired another attorney. We outgrew our first office in about two weeks and uh, kept going back and forth for the better part of a decade till we ended up with uh, approximately 40, 40 lawyers and a whole family of websites. Um, and it just, you know, piece by piece, you know, ended up, you know, through a lot of, you know, hard work and serendipity, finding people like yourself doing podcasts, speaking publicly, um, spinning a digital agency out of the firm's uh, in-house digital. All those things sort of came together to create today what is essentially uh, a multi-state, multidisciplinary firm, Price Benowitz. Multi, and multi-practice, right? I mean, right. And ultimately, you know, the thing that I find interesting is that when most people start a law firm, the, the issues they have is that law school doesn't prepare you for, you know, there's the dichotomy of the business side of law and the practice side of law. And you were able to kind of marry the two with your personalities. And I think that's ultimately, it's just, it's unique. You know, one of the things that ultimately led me to, to, you know, reach out uh, when I was, you know, young lawyer looking for uh, advice was essentially that it was interesting to see a, as a criminal defense lawyer, a mid-sized firm that had scaled with the cornerstone being criminal defense. I just never seen that before. And, and, and it, there aren't a lot of that. And there may be a good reason for that, but right. like we will, we'll keep fake it till we make it. You know, it, there's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of transactional costs and, and bureaucracy that goes on. But as you know, look, we're both part of the max law community. And as we see it, there's so many different issues that people struggle with every day. And we continue to struggle with it just at a higher level. But the fact that there are people to do many, of those things, that there's an accounting person, that there's a marketing person, that there's an intake person, there's administration. The fact that some of those things have been systemized and scaled has allowed, I think, the ability to attract people like yourself and many of these really talented people that really want to practice law, but don't want all of the, the, the call it nuances in a good way, but sort of distractions that take place when you're trying to build a firm and there are people that love it and embrace it, which I do. And there are people that really want no part of it or want to minimize it as much as possible. And I think that's been uh, part of the fun is watching people like yourself build practices that if you were stuck sort of with all of those different administrative tasks, you couldn't get yourself professionally to the levels that you could get to otherwise. Right. I mean, the best way I've explained it to people is I've, I am provided resources that allows me to be the best lawyer possible because uh, I'm not splitting time on areas that I don't need to be focused on if I'm trying to be the best criminal defense lawyer possible. So it, it just, it's, it's those tools and resources that solo attorneys and, and just basically some small law firms just don't, aren't able to provide their clients. And Absolutely. so I think that's what one of the things that makes us unique. You know, and so when the firm was initially structured, did you foresee the firm scaling in that rate? I mean, had you kind of built out that 
10 year plan and saw that that was your vision? No, I wish I could take credit for it. We were, we were just sort of like, hey, how do we launch this? Um, and what we saw was, you know, again, there, as I've le learned different areas of law, you know, when you're in the uh, personal injury space, the plaintiff space, there are a lot more business-minded people scaling businesses there. Um, I, did, I looked, reached out. I could not find other people like me in the D.C. metro. And it wasn't until I went to national conferences and found people like Jay Ruane or David Hainel and different people around the country who had done something even close to what we were doing um, that uh, sort of found some, some camaraderie. And it was, it was sort of lo looking locally. Part of it was there was a demand because people wanted to practice. When we post an ad locally for a DC criminal defense lawyer, the number of resumes we would get were unbelievable the number of people interested in, in private practice, but the ability to monetize it and do it in a, in a, a profitable, scalable way really did not exist. So no, I wish there was a master plan. It was more <laughs> of a game of chess where each time we looked at, a, at the chessboard and said, hey, what's the next best move and move there? I think at this point, we've set some goals and, and sort of like we have systems in place to layer people on. But I think that to a certain extent, um, so if we've made mistakes, it's when we've sort of pushed for growth for growth's sake rather than keeping our eye on quality. There, you know, Danes don't fall off trees every day. Like you have to find those diamonds in a rough and really work with them and develop them. And I think to our credit, we have only lost in the history of the firm a very small, less than a handful of people that are people who are like, damn, I can't believe we lost that person that it's, you know, when I hire people, it is a self-selecting group. We, we take legal argument as a given, but it's the people who want it. Like, you know, you could tell that you knew what you were doing. The question is, do you, do you, are you going to drink this Kool-Aid? Not in a bad way, but in a, do you want what we have? Because if you're willing to hustle, we have this platform that allows people to build and grow with. Um, you know, we've experimented outside of criminal into PI, which is grown extremely well um you know it is it is interesting as we've sort of touched on different areas trust in the states uh was a passion play um, my dad's still practicing at 85 yale class of 59 has his own Incredible. practice in new york and is senior counsel to us so like building a trust in the states practice with carrie has not only been uh something cool where we saw her eclipse the revenue of her prior firm in the first couple of years she was with us alone, but it gave me an extra excuse to talk to my dad about stuff. <laughs> we just had like, you know, a major retired US Senator referring a case to him yesterday that you must get to him. That if it wasn't for our digital setup would never have gotten there. Not that he's not an amazing lawyer in his own right with an amazing referral network, but the idea of like what you could do when you layer on top somebody with like incredible, um, you know, senior status, to uh to the marketing world it's been a, it's been a fun ride well i mean it's kind of the discussions we've had is you and i, I know this is a, a something that you use in the spaces you can't teach hungry you got to have the lawyers who are willing to do the work that's the given that's the floor if you can't at least have that threshold baseline you're not going to make it to the next step of using those resources to be successful no, and that, so i think I, that's that's the base 
Right. And that's John Morgan. Uh, he's probably one of the most successful plaintiff lawyers in the country. And uh, ironically, right before the pandemic, Jody and I were, uh, were in Maui for John Fisher's mastermind. And, and John invited us over to his house where I got like three <laughs> hours unvarnished Morgan. And that's exactly it. You know, he's, you know, the way he's run both his firm and his entrepreneurial ventures, uh, just amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I, it is a, it is a self-selecting group, but the people that we've gotten, and that's why, you know, with this downturn that we're facing and we're not through it and it may, there may be a lot more right. before we're through it. Um, the people, and I, I saw this on the staff side, our A players, when we went virtual stayed a, if not a plus and our B minus people, they slipped. It, it exposed. Uh, some- it exposed and they, when they went virtual. It, that they that same sort of like less involved, less caring continued, and was a, they've taken that same B minus person to a C plus player. So you know, I, I think that it is something that is easy to talk about. It is harder to find that X factor. Uh, part of the reason that I love having an in-house recruiting person, like not just like it's part of another job, but somebody whose full-time job is it's it's your people. And if you have great people and you, you know, you need to keep people motivated, have great culture and all of that. But at the end of the day, if you start with people that are driven, hungry, and motivated, it's going to make that journey doable. Whereas Dave always refers to a round peg square hole. You know, if you don't have the right people, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're not going to get there. Right. Well, in addressing culture, what would you say, you know, because obviously some of the people watching and and listening uh, to the podcast are going to, are not going to be lawyers. And so, you know, these are potential clients or clients. What would you say is our firm's mission? I mean, what are we seeking to accomplish as a firm? You know, I would say what it, what it is, is mold is, is basically taking legal excellence and allowing that to be accessible to the greater population. And that sounds obvious, but it's generally not there because when we started, what I found was many of the people that were amazing lawyers you couldn't find. They didn't answer their phones. They didn't have a business model that worked. You might get lucky and get them, but most of the time when you were looking for a lawyer, you would get trapped into the worst lawyers in a market who just happened to figure out how to market. So the idea that we literally divided and conquered and had a marketing funnel to bring people excellence that sounds obvious, but just d- didn't exist and frankly doesn't exist that much. You know, when you're in the plaintiff's practice, you know, whether you're getting the top lawyer in the city or the worst lawyer in the city, the rates are on a contingency case aren't that much different. And, you know, there are people out there that have never tried a case that every single case gets settled immediately and they don't even file lawsuits. The idea is if you you know, so, so from a point of view of the public, what I think we've done really well is, you know, gotten people who care so much about their clients, whether it's you in South Carolina, whether it's Dave who stays up all night for his clients or John, you know, we are basically, you know, Carrie is as good as anybody in our market for her generation. And the idea that you have people that like live and breathe and fight for their clients that are accessible to the clients because they don't have to deal with all of the other nonsense of firm administration. To me, that's been what has differentiated us as a firm and where clients come to us, they see that we really have something that is special that they are getting like the, 
not that they can't get attention of lawyers elsewhere, but that we really give people that special ability to get to some lawyers that otherwise would not really be accessible. And I always tell my clients and potential clients that I think attorney-client relationships, like any relationship, it's built on trust and communication. And as long as you have those two things put in place, you're going to get a better result than had you not. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. You're able to put the right lawyer in that position to provide the trust and communication that's needed in each case. I mean, that's, it's something that's certainly lacking in many firms, especially on the communication side. I mean, that's the number one reason for lawyers to get grieved, you know, by their disciplinary uh, committee. So, I mean, no, it's just I, one of those things. Absolutely. Like I think a CMT is one of our secret sauces. The idea that our client management team, that there is somebody to answer the phone you know, and, and make sure that somebody is heard and that we can determine whether we can help them and then who best to help them and getting them to that person. Again, it sounds obvious, but the move away from a receptionist that was basically a catch-all person to an intake team. Again, it was me and a cell phone for many years and is elevated to a team of 12, but the idea that there is a trained group of people, just like when the water heater in your, in your basement explodes and you're screaming at your significant other how to get it fixed best, when somebody's in that moment of need, knowing that we are able to triage that and get them the help they need really quickly and get them directly to a Dane or to a Dave, that is, I think, a great differentiator that sounds obvious but isn't normally the case when you, you know, in, in the business world, when you secret shop law firms, half the time people don't get called back. It, you know, there's, there's not a great level of communication. What I love about it is it's a safety net so that if there's a problem, let's say a lawyer does have a family emergency or something happens and a client doesn't feel they're getting the service they need, they can come back through there. And then we're able to figure out, okay, something's wrong here. Let's go, let's go figure out what's wrong and make sure it doesn't happen. So, you know, I like to think that when people choose us, that they're getting the best of both worlds. They're getting somebody who's essentially their lawyer, like you would have was a solo and they had nothing else to do but work with you. But there's an entire firm infrastructure behind you to be able to pick up any things that happen because we're all humans and there are going to be mistakes and there's going to be times where something slips between the cracks or there's going to be somebody who has an expectation that's not being met, whether, whether real or perceived. And the idea that for quality control, we have that extra layer. Um, to me, that's huge. You know, I, I just when you listen to the, like the serial podcast and you think about what that family went through in the second trial, when that person was clearly, their lawyer was clearly, clearly spiraling down and that right. there was nobody else to go to because it was them. And the idea here that there is a checks and balances, I, especially in criminal defense, there's so much in criminal defense, alcoholism, different issues that come up for lawyers. And the fact that we have created a firm where there is a, a, a release, that it's not just a person on an island by themselves. And if that person's, you know, having an issue, you're having an issue, but that there's an entire sort of safety net. To me, that's a pretty big deal. Well, I, I, the way I've described it to friends, fellow lawyers is, it, it, you know, the, the safety net is, uh, it allows me to 
to practice law and not get divorced because, you know, I, I'm one of those people, I'm, I'm going to be successful. And if I, it, it, this allows me the resources not to work 24 seven. And so I can spend time that I need to spend with my wife and, and my child. And so it's one of those things that uh, it, it is the best of both worlds. And I mean, I know we just went through and kind of distinguished the firm from others, but what's some of the other issues that you think makes Price Benowitz different than other firms, not just in say DC, but just in general, as far as uh, the level of representation that we provide. I know we've touched on a lot of different things. I'm yeah. just trying, you know, what are the, some of the other distinguishing factors you think that makes our firm different? I mean, look, I, I think that it, it's, it is much of what we've talked about. It's the legal excellence that we've sort of vetted lawyers. It's the intake process, which is something that, allows people that have never been involved in the criminal justice system to quickly and easily get the help that they need in real time. We all want stuff immediately. Um, you know, we've done as good a job with our public facing web properties of educating. You know, you know, if we are not a hurt, we're not a high pressure sales, hide the ball. The idea is tell people everything you know. I do this at Blue Shark, we do it at Price Benowitz. If you tell somebody everything you know and they say, you know what, Dane, I'm good. I'm going to represent myself. You know what? I, you know, probably not the right client for you in the first right. place. Good luck. But you've done your job. Like, give everything, let them know. And I think that, that the fact that it's a business focused infrastructure, layering legal excellence on top of it with the idea that it's not everything with the web content. You know, it's, we have to fight writers who write because they always say, must call a lawyer immediately. And it's like, no, the idea is educate somebody, give them every piece of information you can, and that that will then resonate because you'll get the right client. Because look, I'll look at it from the other point of view, not exactly the question you asked, but part of it is making sure that we have as high a percentage of the clients we want. Because, you know, you talked about a work-life balance for a moment. If you get the wrong clients, not only is it not good for your mental health and for your family because you're taking weight home, but it's not good as a business. So I feel that by having these different pieces, both from how we put ourselves forth digitally, which is where a lot of people find us, as well as our referral partners that bring people to us uh, through, through great relationships that we have, that all of that together has allowed us to provide a product that normally has been distributed, particularly in the non-plaintiff space, by very small, disparate players, and to allow the synergies of a mid-sized organization to elevate people, I think that has been the, the um, sort of formula for success that we've had to date. Well, and it kind of as a segue, so through kind of the digital interface that we have uh, that you referenced. And of course, having those national conferences, I mean, you've been fortunate to become nationally recognized in digital marketing and being the founder of Blue Shark Digital. And of course, uh, the managing uh, partner of this firm uh, through those conferences and being able to speak and making these relationships and connections with all these uh, successful lawyers around the country. How has that changed your managing style of the firm? Have you no. felt like there's been an evolution because of that? Um, look, I mean, I think I've been very fortunate to essentially have a national brain trust of people, and you're always learning and growing. I think I probably matured. You know, it was a lot more sweat equity, scream as loud as it took to get stuff done. 
uh, in earlier years. And I'd like to think that I mellowed maybe in my middle age to the point where I'm allowing and deputizing and delegating to people to accomplish things that need to be accomplished that have allowed us to get further. Um, and that I feel very blessed that when I look around the country, I've had the opportunity to look to meet and spend time with some of my business law heroes, people that have scaled firms to incredible heights, the Andrew Finkelsteins, the Keith Givens, the, uh, you know, all of these different people that have done incredible stuff in the business of law and that I tried to with each conference, you know, when I, I'm a conference junkie, I started speaking at conferences before I even had a widget just to get referral business back to uh, Price Benowitz. But as, as Blue Shark built, I continued to do that. And I, I had a conference rule and I, I, I still live by this. I take notes at every conference. I then sort of circle and make a list. And I try to do this on the plane home. Remember we used to get on planes and go to conferences, but we don't do that so much anymore. But um, even through webinars now, it's, it's less because you don't, they're not as extended. It's not over a two or three day period. But I would, my, my MO was I would make a list of the different ideas. Some of them were ideas I'd heard before. And it's like, you know, you really need to, you know, create an ebook. You got to do this. You got to do that. Whatever it was, I make the list of 10 things. And then on the flight home, I would then prioritize them. And I would always put the three that I'm going to immediately turn to, the four that I might not do immediately, but they're on the list for the next quarter. And the three that are, you know, the, the, the last uh, of, the, of the 10 that we're going to, you know, they, they are not going to make the cut. They're great ideas. But sometimes in life and in business, just like real estate deals you don't do, I would say that in business and in law, it's the things you, that you don't do that sometimes propel you. There are a lot of shiny objects out there. So I feel that I've been very, very fortunate interpersonally now with the, the Max Law community and uh, through their guild. There's a whole brain trust of people around you who are doing different things, really cool, creative things, and picking and choosing what you like and what you think works within the system you've created and always having a little bit of experimentation um, you know, right now I'm like, there are a bunch of people doing a ton on Instagram. I don't really understand it. I like Facebook. I like hanging out with you and talking about both personal and work stuff there, but I feel like there's a whole world there. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, sort of designate, put a person in charge of it and let them see, is that something that would resonate with our client population or potential client population? And so by trying different things, and sort of crowdsourcing what works for other people, that's been uh, a huge influence on how we've grown and scaled the firm. Well, before we get to the kind of the section where I call cross-examination, it's a little quick rapid fire. What do you see the future for Price Benowitz? What do you see, like, what, what are the, I should say goals, I don't want to be generic, but where do you see Price Benowitz now that, I mean, we're in this kind of extraordinary time, something that certainly we, is unprecedented, we didn't foresee. And given this and now, uh, fortunately the firm's been in a position not to have to pivot like some people, you know, we're, uh, plowing forward. Uh, where do you see the future of Price Benowitz given kind of this new, well, you know, well, it is a new culture. Right, exactly. So right now it's very tough and it's an emotionally tough time because it's an emotional roller coaster, both for myself, for my family, for the staff, for lawyers. Like one day you think hey, everything's fine and then you look at stuff and you're like, man, 
I don't know where this stuff's going. We're, we're, we're off the charts worldwide. And we have another shutdown because we know the shutdowns are, you know, are hit the criminal defense attorneys first. So I yeah. wish I could sort of right now, if you asked me this a few months ago, I could give you a much happier, rosier sort of answer about building out these different divisions and sections and making them sort of sustainable for the long term, allowing people to have a place that they can practice their, their, their vocation with a great work-life balance, making great coin. Like that's what I want for our, for our lawyers. At the same time, um, I, I'm really torn because right now we are navigating extremely choppy waters. I am thrilled that we are solvent and in good shape and moving forward and that like it hasn't been pretty, but we've really done a remarkable job, I feel, of navigating these waters. And if it was only to get better from here, I'd be like, thank God, I'll take that, I'll take that <laughs> any day. Um, my concern is I have to keep both not only look for the future and growth and scale and, and, and figuring out where we want to be at the same time, you know, we have huge risk factors coming at us, whether it be recession, whether it be lockdown, what, you know, whether it be changes in laws, you know, areas or, you know, prosecutors in Virginia are now not even appearing for lower cases. What's that going to mean? So there are all these different sort of like tumultuous waves coming at us and I feel like I'm back, uh, you know, we did a couple of weeks at the beach, you know, I'm, feel, I'm back there jumping waves. <laughs> and if you're not careful and you don't time it right, you're getting knocked over. Right. So I, I, that is, that's my life right now is successfully jumping waves to try to make it as calm for everybody else so that, you know, we made certain strategic um, cuts and expenditures uh, when everything hit, we were very fortunate as many people were with PPP money allowed us to have greater gumption that things were going to be good. And I think that will be for those that weren't just taking the money for no good reason. One of the amazing things that was done with uh, the PPP loans, essentially grants, was that it allowed companies to act as if nothing bad was going to happen. Um, and yet, you know that there is, we don't know where the future lies. If, you know, again, in February, we were just like running, like this is awesome. Of course. All, all cylinders, what can we do? Where can we expand? And right now we're sort of very much focused on, let's make sure what we're doing is tight and that every, the systems are tighter than ever so that the, the clients get the best possible um, service and value they can. There's gonna be downward pricing pressure going forward if this, if the economy turns south and that we need to be prepared to service clients that are hurting financially, some are, many already are, and there's a good likelihood a lot more will in the future. And that for those of us in the non-contingency side, the fee-for-service side, it's going to be a real challenge to make sure that we can service all of these clients um, uh, effectively and meeting the needs that they can afford at that time. And that's you know, we're, 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 so we have some more waves coming, but uh, I'm up for the challenge and excited to jump some more waves. Well, fortunately for our clients, I mean, we're at our core, we're a scrappy group. So I don't, you know, that's the one thing I know that I don't have to worry about that. And anybody that's met the lawyers at our firm know that when it comes down to, if they're looking for a fight, they'll get one. And so I, I <laughs> that part, we don't have to worry about. Hamilton, young, scrappy and hungry. Exactly. That's the epitome of us, right? And so going to the cross-examination questions, these are going to be real quick, rapid fire. Don't think about it. Just kind of yeah. first answer comes through. So what's your favorite law-related movie? The Verdict. Nice. Favorite book? To Kill a Mockingbird. Which lawyer in history would you want to meet if you could? Thurgood Marshall. Nice. 
list one non-law related thing you do that's made you a better lawyer. You know, and I, I know this question was coming. <laughs> I, I feel like that is like my, my essence. I spend my time with that. That I think has been part of our secret sauce is bringing non-law ideas, business concepts, um, best practices to law. So I feel like it's the, the, I don't have an answer because that I feel like is the essence of much of what we've done. Absolutely. And what would you do if you weren't a lawyer? I mean, I would assume CEO. Of, uh, of no, no, no. I, I think uh, starting second baseman for the Yankees. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, well, if we do the moonshot, absolutely. Yeah. The, the eye-hand coordination I don't think was ever good enough. So I might, the closest I would have come would be the pinch runner. Uh, that was my, uh, I always wanted to just get one shot to pinch run for the Yankees. Ah, what a dream. All right. So how we end every show is the war stories. Now you can either tell us about a specific case you had. And, and obviously, I mean, you were a practicing lawyer, but as far as being an operator of a firm, you, there can be, I'm sure some pretty memorable moments or funny moments. So you, your choice. I'll, I'll, hopefully this doesn't take too long, but I have, um, when I was in DC law students in court, I had a client, Mr. Doe. And Mr. Doe uh, was arrested in D.C. for getting to a fight with a bus stop shelter. And he wouldn't speak in jail. He, he was, they, they brought me in and he wouldn't talk. And he was a Vietnam-era vet. So I went down to the wall one night in law school and found one of the guys who sat down at the wall every night, uh, who was part of one of those organizations, and brought him with me to the jail. And we had one leg. Um, and he, he came in and he spoke. And the moment he came in, the guy stood up saluted and started talking. So Mr. Doe, um, William Smith, was um, a, a great, great guy who sadly was fighting demons of um, bipolar and alcoholism. And it's a bad, bad combination. And it turns out, like I, I worked with him, we got, got him to St. E's, got him out of St. E's, and then he had a run-in where he thought he was being followed in Arlington um, when he jumped through a plate glass window of the Arlington Domino's restaurant. Years later, I met as my cab driver, the assistant manager who was on duty that night, who had remembered this. Um, so I don't, I don't think you forget this. He, he then stripped and waited for the police to, to arrest him. He was in Arlington. Um, and, we, and he got, got him into a, a mental health program there, in-house program. And as you know, there are not a lot of in-house patients. Uh, eventually, uh, he was discharged from that because they only keep the bed only paid for so many nights and uh, got him into the General Davidson home in Washington, D.C., uh, where he stayed and was sort of like living. And I think he had a, a part time job and he was really starting to get his life together. And then one Valentine's Day, he just bolted and uh, left town. I think he headed to. Um, Quantico, some sort of conspiracy theory. And he, you know, but he was a compelling guy. He had, you know, he would beg and get enough money to live for the next period of time. And, uh, you know, I stayed in touch. I got through his mom's name and number. I found his brother. And it turns out he had spent much of his adult life traveling the country, um, finding somebody like myself who might take care of him for a few years. And then eventually moving on to the next place. And if he got arrested in the wrong place, the police would literally bring him to the next town over and he would go to that jail um, and spent much of his life. Um, so I, I kept him afloat and, and out of trouble for a couple of years and found out years later that he had sort of made it back to Oakland where his family was and had sort of cleaned up his act and gotten to know his niece 
and one day went for a walk on the beach and just didn't didn't come back. Um, and it was, uh, it was it was sobering. We have a lot of issues in our criminal justice system and mental health world that we've never answered. We've never really undone what happened under the Reagan administration with the elimination of long-term mental health um, accommodations. I'm sure there were good reasons for some of them, and some of them have just left our cities dealing with a population and no real way to deal with it. So to me, that was one of those, you know, perseverance, you know, you know, scrappiness. It's it's not always just the law, but figuring out how to work the system to advocate for your client to get them the best possible result. And, you know, seeing this guy and living, you know, having the the um, the, the time and ability to work with somebody for that period of time uh, and seeing the obstacles that are out there and the fact that we have a very imperfect system and much of what I give credit to our lawyers for is figuring out how to navigate those waters to somebody who is new to them. And at, at the end of the day, it's all about making a difference in someone's life. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's yeah. a great, great story. Well, you know, obviously, thank you, Seth. Uh, you know, I, look, it, it's great to have done the podcast uh, episode with you. Yeah, obviously, we're on, it's Seth, I, and the firm are on every social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you know, specifically, uh, we're nothing but a Google search away, and we're, the communication part, we are literally, I mean, to just let you know, I called, how I met Seth was I sent an email, didn't know Seth, just said, hey, I'd like to ask you, uh, you know, a few questions about uh, business advice. Boom. He responded. And so that's the type of open communication you get with our firm. He didn't know me uh, from, from Adam's house cat. And uh, look, and here we are. Uh, and look, so this I, is great. I, I love that. And like I say this every time I speak. I am happy to, uh, you know, I'm happy to answer any questions, whether or not it's something that we can, you know, handle, I mean, just whatever it is, uh, you might end up with a, a partnership in your own state and, and you may just end up with an answer. But I, I, as you can tell, I live and breathe this stuff. Uh, the intersection of marketing and law and operations uh, really is my passion. And, uh, you know, either a click away and if we're doing our jobs right, it'll pop up even if we don't, you don't click. So, um, you know, we, uh, we are here and would love to uh, continue the conversation offline. Absolutely. And thanks everybody for listening. You know, always for your social media platforms, subscribe, follow us, depending on which platform you're on, like us, share us, spread the word. Look, our, our, our mission is to help people. When you spread the word, we're able to do more of that. And so we're always one phone call away, but either way, tell your friends and family and uh, look forward to listening to the next episode. Thank you.